Uh, we are honored this morning to have with us uh, Tom and Joanne Doyle. Uh, they are uh, friends to Christ Point. We've had the honor and privilege of supporting uh, their work. Uh, Tom started an organization called Uncharted Ministries. Uh, they encourage and challenge the local church uh, to uh, partner with God in what he is doing uh, among the Jews and the Muslims in the Middle East uh, and persecuted uh, people groups in uncharted territories. Uh, God is using him in a significant way. Uh, he is here this morning to share with you uh, what God is doing around the world. Tom and Joanne, uh, I give thanks to God for you, for your partnership uh, in the gospel and for how God is using you to expand his kingdom uh, around the world. And so we're honored to have you uh, with us this morning. Uh, please, if you would, put your hands together and welcome Tom. Hey, I'm going to I'm going to fix this. No, that's all right. It's okay. No, it's not. That's, it'll, a, that's it'll, obnoxious. It'll be perfect for Joanne, actually. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> right, Joanne? Right, sweetie? Hey, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor James, for your partnership in the Middle East. And thank you, Billy, for helping us get started here um, with the church. We're excited to be here. So we're going to bring you uh, the good news from the Middle East today and show you what God's doing. So think about this. Let's just pull away from all the cares of life and think about what the Lord's doing around the world today. It's pretty exciting stuff. So take your Bibles, turn to Colossians 3, if you would. We're going to look at a few verses, but as you're looking it up, I'm going to kind of walk you there and give you a little bit of the background of the book. And so in chapter 1, Paul is talking to the church in Colossae, and he says, man, I got good news for you. The gospel is bearing fruit around the world. Big things are happening for the gospel. And he says, so I want you to know this so that you'll live a life that's worthy of the Lord and so that you'll follow him in everything you do. And then he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, just remember this, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so in Ephesians 5, 8, it doesn't say we were in the darkness. It says we were the darkness. We were so sick with sin. And then he goes on and talks about he rejoices in suffering. It's worth it. And then in chapter 2, he talks about all fullness of God is in Christ Jesus and this uh, amazing section of scripture of what he's done in our lives. He likens it to circumcision. And then he says in verse 13 of chapter 2, you were dead in your sins and he forgave us. Our sins canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us. And he nailed it to the cross. It's gone. And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them at triumphing over them with the cross. So he's done all these amazing things for you, for me. Then he says in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts and things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
you will also appear with him in glory. So Lord Jesus, we just take you, you would take us away from our calendars, our busy lives, our thoughts, the things that we have to do this week, what's coming, what's bothering us, and just, just take our hearts and our minds into heaven so we can really see what you're doing and how you are moving throughout the world and how you, King Jesus, are seated on the throne and what implications those are for us today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to set our hearts and minds on things above. So, Chris, if we could go to the first one. Um, this is the Doyle family, 1990. So Joanna and I got married, and it was crazy because we had six kids in eight years. Man, it just happened so fast. It was just, there's come and run one right after another. And I, I remember one time I called my dad. I was just going to talk to him about a football day, game. And I said, hey, Dad, guess what? And he goes, is Joanne pregnant? No, no, it's, it's a game. You know, it's like that was the topic of conversation all the time. But they grow up, and this was them this is them as they grew up. So the six, Shanna on the left, Tommy, John Mark, Lindsay, Josh, and Sarah. So four of them are married. Shanna on the left and Tommy are not married. And we work in the Middle East, and so we like arranged marriages, and we're taking applications for anybody afterwards. But uh, so we had five teenagers um, at once. And then God called us from pastoring into the Middle East, and people would say, are you crazy? Aren't you afraid of going to the Middle East? It's dangerous. You get killed, whatever. And I would say, my, my gosh, it's like dangerous in my house. Are you kidding? Five teenagers. So we were sitting at dinner one night, and, you know, it's rare. They're teenagers. They're at home with us. Everybody's there. And so we said, hey, let's just talk about, like, when you get married, how many kids do you want to have? Let's go around the table. And, and uh, Lindsay says, you know, I don't think I want any kids. I don't know, maybe one. And the, Tommy says, yeah, I don't think I want any. I'm not sure about that. We go around the table. There was a net total of two. So, I mean, I looked at Joanne and said, we have so blown it as parents. I mean, they don't even want kids, right? And it's so bad. But look what happens. So then they start getting married and kids start coming. And all of a sudden, we knew they could come in bunches. Last year, we hit the bumper crop, okay? Next one, Chris, if you would. Next picture. Look at that. So those are the 18ers, three in one year. So that's uh, Charlotte, Theo in the middle, and River. And so they all came in 2018. So when they're together, of course, they're from three different moms, but they, people think they're triplets. There's Emma, Bennett, Ethan, Emmett. So anyway, I look at that, and I see grandkids, and it brings such joy to our hearts. And I think about, I wonder how... If, if that's what God thinks when he sees us out there and we have a chance to lead someone to faith in Christ and they come to faith in Christ and that came through him, through us, to them. And I wonder if he's just smiling in heaven. You're getting it. Yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. And today we're going to talk about what's happening with Muslims around the world. Because I was under the impression that no Muslims would ever come to faith in Christ. I mean, they're one-fifth of the world. Aren't they all terrorists? I was watching the news, and, and that's what I concluded. Next one, if you would, Chris. But 
God called us to go to the Gaza Strip, to go to the Middle East and do missions. And so my first trip, we'd done a lot of Bible tours in Israel, but it was 2001. It was a couple of months after 9-11, and God calls us to go into the Middle East to go into missions. And so I'm on the airplane. I've done Bible tours, never done missions in Israel and then the Gaza Strip. So I'm reading Voice of the Martyrs magazine. Do you know what that is, Voice of the Martyrs? So I'm reading this, and it said, <clears throat> the Gaza Strip is the most dangerous place in the world for Christians right now. And I thought, dang it, I wish I'd have read this a week ago. I mean, I'm on the plane. It's too late now. And so we go in, and the very first day, I meet a former Muslim. His name is Hussein. And he said, Tom, it's Friday. The Muslims are coming out of the mosque praying. Let's go down to Yasser Arafat's mosque and share Jesus with the Muslims. So I'm a brand new missionary, I guess you would say, right? So it's like, yeah, let's go, okay? So, so we go down, and I knew nothing. I mean, what an ignoramus. I show this to show you what a joke I was. I, I had shorts on, you know? You don't, you don't do that. And then, and then I saw people hugging, but I didn't realize in Islam it's women with women, men with men. You know, my wife's Italian. They hug and kiss everyone, right? And so I'm hugging the men. I'm hugging the women in my shorts. And, but, but look at this. Look at these guys. I mean, with all my mistakes, they're, they're, they're leaning in like, like they want to be a friend. They were understanding. They were forgiving. And they were loving. And I thought, man, there's human beings in the Gaza Strip. I mean, I can't believe it. When you watch the news, aren't they in one of 11 terrorist groups? And it's going so good. But right before we talked to these guys, my friend Hussein said, hey, Tom, I want you to know um, what we're doing today is illegal. I mean, you can't share the gospel in Gaza, so we could get in trouble. We could go to jail for this, but shoot. I mean, everybody should go to jail at least once for sharing their faith in their life, don't you think? And I, yeah, right. Yes, of course. And so this is the good part. This is part one, okay? Part two happened where someone ran and told an imam that we were there and quoting Bible verses, and all of a sudden we're standing, and there is a big group around us, and it's hostile, and they're moving closer, and they're pointing, and I'm hearing words like infidel, and they're angry, and Hussein pulls me back and whispers in my ear and says, Tom, these guys are with Hamas, and they're terrible, and they hate us. You had to hear what they're saying in Arabic, and they could hurt us. And so I just wanted you to know that it's not going good. Maybe you noticed that. And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, they could even try to kill us. They've attempted uh, um, killing some of the believers in Gaza a couple times. And he said, you know, but I, I'm ready to die for Jesus. And, and you're ready to die for Jesus. You're a missionary. And so, you know, this was really, I guess, my first day on the job as a missionary. And I remember just the thought went through my head, gosh, what a short career, you know? <laughs> this didn't end up being much at all. But anyway, so it ends up that, that of course, God got us through. 
But I got on a plane like 10 days later, and Hussein, a former Muslim living in Gaza, stayed there, going into refugee camps, going into Hamas strongholds, sharing the gospel, and one by one, people were coming to faith in Christ. This next one, that's where I got it. This, I, I, I felt like I want to go to Israel and love Jews to Christ. I, we weren't tracking with the Muslim thing whatsoever. We just, we weren't drawn to them whatsoever, but God just broke my heart for them right here in the Gaza Strip. And for Joanne, this is my wife Joanne, it happened to her kind of along the way, but I really think a big point was at the pyramids, right, sweetie? Good morning, everyone. I mean, Joanne. Yes, um, you know, as Tom said, we, I have to confess to you, we didn't initially fall in love with Muslims right away. God had to break our, for me anyway, he had to break my heart so that his love could flow into my heart and I could really see them for who they were and, and really love them. And so one of those moments was at the pyramids in Egypt, and it was so hot. I mean, it was like 120 degrees, and we're trying to wear as few layers as we could. And I looked across from me, and it wasn't this woman. It was another woman, but she had everything covered in black except for her eyes showing. So she was dressed very similar to this lady here. And I saw her across the way, and I just was so compelled to go and see her. And I said to Tom, I said, Tom, pray for me. I have got to go talk to this woman. And I remember thinking, I don't even know if she speaks English. Probably not, but I have got to go see her. So I walked up to her. Turns out she spoke perfect English. And she was from Libya and was telling me about her life. And I walked up to her, and honestly, I did not know what to say. But, you know, it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit speaks the loudest. And so I walked up to her, and I said, you have got the most beautiful eyes. And literally, that was the only thing I could see. <laughs> but do you know what her response was? She literally started wiggling under that burqa. And I saw just through seeing this that she had such personality. And she's talking and she grabs my arms and, and she's telling me all about her children and all about her life in Libya. And we had about a 15 minute conversation. And then I asked her, I said, you know, could um, we have our picture taken together? And she said, actually, she didn't say yes. All of a sudden she looked up behind her and asked her husband permission yeah. to have her picture taken, which he said yes, which you know how he was dressed? He had shorts on and short sleeves. And here she is dressed all the way yeah. to the ground in black, long sleeves, just her eyes showing. And then he gets out there with his camera, and he's taking pictures of us as well. But we struck up a friendship like that, and I realized how hot it was in those pyramids, how she was dressed, and how she was longing to be seen, how she was right. longing to have interaction with other people. But do you know what happens is when you're dressed like that, people ignore you. You become invisible. Isn't that sad? You become invisible. And that's how God began opening my eyes. And I began seeing these veiled women, seeing these veiled women. Now go ahead, sweetie. I'm done. Was there, yeah, all right, great. Stay up here. This was in Afghanistan, and we were there actually um, 
doing some research on a book and we took Joel Rosenberg. I don't know if any of you know him, he's a writer, Joel Rosenberg. That was tricky, getting someone into Afghanistan with the last name Rosenberg. But anyway, so we go and we're just up on this mountain and Joanne takes this picture and it really just defined what life is like in Afghanistan. Tell them about this. Yes, this, this one breaks my heart as well. I mean, that's a pretty color of blue, but on the front, if you've seen those up close, they have like a screen that goes over their eyes but what is worn under that, these women can only have to wear those when they go outside, but when yeah. they get inside, they can take it off, but they have to have their head covered. So they have a hijab or that headscarf underneath those, and you really can barely see. And so what happens in Afghanistan is most women are killed in car accidents because they can't see when they're walking in the village or walking in, you know, across the street, they get hit by cars very easily because they completely lose their peripheral vision. And then also what happens, not just in Afghanistan, but all over the Middle East is that, do you know, you can get up to nine diseases yeah. just right. from wearing a burqa or a hijab, or not just a hijab, but when you're all covered like that, number one is they're not getting any vitamin D from the sun. So in Afghanistan, one in a hundred women die in childbirth. Yeah. Number one reason is they're not getting that vitamin D. They're not getting, you know, their bones are not growing. And so the babies just can't get out. They're not getting enough vitamins from, you know, malnutrition. They're not getting prenatal care, a lot of reasons. But yeah, you can get skin conditions, carbon monoxide poisoning, a lot of diseases, literally just from being dressed like this. Isn't that tragic? We don't think about those things. Jesus tells us to come to him with an unveiled face. What does Satan do? He shrouds the women of Islam in these coverings. That's right. So, so you don't think we're just here to tell you the bad news. We want to tell you the good news. Next slide, if you would. The good news is this. More Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 10 years, the last decade, than in the last 14 centuries of Islam. Okay, so 10 years, compared to 1,400 years, there is a revolution in Muslim countries. They are getting on the internet, they're having dreams about Jesus, they're finding Bibles, they're coming faith to face to face with Jesus, and they are open to the gospel. Wherever we go, we're meeting Muslims that are in underground church. They're, they're, they're having these encounters. They're, they're open to the gospel. It's like God's running a special on Muslims. Everywhere we go, we're seeing this. And there's big changes in the Middle East. We were here in 2017, December 6th, and it was announced that the U.S. Embassy was going to be moved to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, and the Israelis were celebrating, and people predicted World War III, and it really didn't happen. But on the Jewish side, here's what's happening. So many have stayed away from Jesus as Jews because they see Jesus as the Christian God. And weren't the Crusaders and the Spanish Inquisition and the Nazis, weren't they Christians? They wore crosses. They said they were. And so they, they moved away from Jesus, not wanting to hear from about him. And so I have a friend that lived in Israel in the 1950s, and there were less than 20 Jewish people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Less than 20 in Israel. How can that be? Today, there's over 30,000 Jewish believers in Israel. It's on the move. God's starting to roll. Okay, next one, Chris, if you would. Oh, wow. Can anyone be forgiven? This, this man's name is Mohammed. We met him. He was a Syrian refugee. Um, we met him in Lebanon 
And there's his wife, Wissam, and they had escaped Syria in the midst of the war. So let me tell you about Mohammed. Mohammed was, um, he was a terrorist. He had three businesses that made millions. He financed a lot of things that ISIS was doing up in northern Syria. You heard about it on the news. He was a bad dude. The reason he didn't get in the army is because they liked his money. He was always financing things. Uh, his wife said that he beat her almost every day of their marriage. And here's the kicker. He had 67 other wives. 67. See, in Islam, there's a clause where you can have a temporary marriage. It's called muta. And so you can arrange a marriage with a woman. If the imam signs off on it, you can have a marriage. And it could be for a month, a year. It could be for a day. It's basically legalized prostitution. That's it. What a bad guy. He's a creep. And if I'm Jesus in heaven, I'm thinking, that guy is too far gone. Seriously, I'm not going to waste my time with this guy. But that's not how Jesus thinks. And that's not how we thought with us. Muhammad starts having dreams about Jesus. Jesus is coming to him at night saying, you're on the wrong path. I love you. I died for you. This is a bad dude. He is well known throughout Syria. He's having dreams. He doesn't know who to talk to, but Jesus is coming nightly. And he said to me, I wanted to go to bed every night because I knew Jesus was coming. And he had a message for me. And, and so finally he thought, Christians, they don't read the Quran, they read the Bible. I'll get a Bible. So he found a bombed out church in Syria, went in, there was a little prayer meeting. He saw Bible in typical Muhammad fashion. He stole the Bible. You know, I mean, they would have given it to him. You know, a Muslim, you want to, yes, take it. He stole it and starts reading at night, putting it under his mattress, reading at night, putting it under his mattress. And finally, he finds some believers, goes to an underground church. And about eight months later, after this uh, contact with Jesus, this initial contact, he gives his life to the Lord Jesus gloriously, gloriously. So then he goes to Wissam and he says, Jesus saved me. I just want you to know, I've been a bad dude, but Jesus saved my life. And I've done terrible things to you, but I'm a new man. Jesus has saved me. I'm forgiven of my sins. And you know what she said, ladies? She said, well, how convenient is that? So you think I'm supposed to forgive you because Jesus forgive you, forgave you? Forget it. Never. It's not going to happen. I hate you. I would have killed you if I could have got away with the kids. There's no way I'm going to forgive you. But Jesus had a plan for her, and he started coming to her in dreams. And over time, she saw her husband. Obviously, there's no beatings, just loving her, getting up and doing the dishes. I mean, waiting on her. She's just resisting and resisting. It took her about a year later. She came to faith in Christ, and it was glorious. And after that, they had another child, which means joy in Arabic. She's usually smiling. You can't see it. But amazingly, they have a love for each other. It's not only salvation. It is reconciliation to see that. So the, it's the Middle East. They don't do PDA there, you know? No public display of affection. Guys on one side, girls on the other in the mosque. But when you're around them, they're like honeymooners. They can't walk by each other without a little touch or a little kiss. They are so in love, so forgiving to each other. And I said, okay, Wissam, I know Jesus can do anything. I've seen it, but 67 other. I mean, how do you, she said, I know. She said, I just realized how deeply and evil my sin was. He had the wives. I was planning to murder him. 
and Jesus forgave me, and I confessed that to God, and he not only took that away, he gave me a love for my husband, and I love him, and he loves me, and she said, and he loves just me. And so this couple is like a dynamo force in the Middle East now. They're in Lebanon, reaching out to, to Muslims, bringing them to faith in Christ. So pray for them. There's fatwas on their life, which is a killing, uh, an order from imams. Their parents want to kill them. The uh, imam wants to kill them. And so they, they say whether we live today or the rest 25 years, we're going to serve Jesus. We're probably going to die for our faith. So, so pray for Muhammad and Wissam. If you keep, um, we're in contact with them. Um, and that, that's a great prayer. Pray for Muhammad in the Middle East. I mean, that covers half the Middle East right there, right? Okay, next one, if you would. Oh, man, here's a Palestinian uh, from Gaza, that, uh, a Muslim that came to faith in Christ, hated Jews, and had tattooed on his arm the Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. To show Jewish people, I had a hatred for you. I wanted to kill you. Jesus set me free. He's the Jewish Messiah. The only reconciliation you see in the Middle East, Jews and Muslims, is through Jesus. Okay, next one, if you would. This is Joanne on the Temple Mount. We were talking about all the tension. You've probably seen some rioting lately, and we're up there with our team talking about it. And I realized nobody is looking at me. They're looking past me, and I looked, and there's Joanne meeting Muslims, not getting people more afraid about the situation. If you want to be afraid of Muslims, just watch the news, right? But that, we're not supposed to get our worldview from the news. We get it from the Bible, and so we're supposed to reach out to them, tell them about this, what happened yes. here. Yes. In fact, if we could go back to that last slide real quick. <clears throat> yes, this one. And the reason I like to show this slide first is you may be sitting there thinking a couple of things. First of all, thinking, gosh, I'm kind of like you. I really don't have a heart for Muslims. You may be thinking like how Tom and I did. And like us, you are seeing Muslims all around you. I'm assuming you see a lot of women with their hijabs. And when you see them, you may be thinking, as I used to think, they're dressed that way because they want to be left alone. Or you see them and you think, it's their fault with all this terrorism that we've got in the world right now. And terrorism is a real issue. We totally understand that. Um, but I had to come to the point, as I said, that my heart was broken for them in order for me to get to the place where I was willing to reach out with them for the love of Jesus, with the love of Jesus. And that's what we want to open your heart to today is, first of all, to recognize that we, as followers of Jesus, are the only ones that can offer truth to anyone on the planet, right? We're the only ones that have the truth. So it's up to us to share the love of Jesus with them. And so um, now when I see a woman with a veil, you know, they're the Muslims that are the easiest to spot, right? Because they stand out with their hijabs. I want to make a beeline for them. I want to go up to them. I want them to see that I see them, that I recognize who they are. And so look at these two girls. They do not look that intimidating, do they? Not that scary. I mean, kind of, maybe, but not really. But if we go now to the next picture, when I look at how inviting they are. Now you see that that barrier has been broken, that wall has been knocked down, and look how precious they are. They really are longing for friendship. So this was on the Temple Mount. These two girls happened to be from Turkey. One of them spoke really good English, and I went up to them, and I simply said, hi, girls. Isn't that easy? Hi, girls. We can all say that, can't we? Hello. 
went up and asked them where they were from, and they told me they were from Turkey. They had their cell phones out, just like all of us have our that's cell right. phones out. So that's kind of an easy connection to really easy to find something to talk about. And um, then they told me, you know, they were from Turkey, what they were doing in Israel. And I very easily started saying, well, I actually am from America, and I'm, I'm not Muslim, but I'm, I'm a Christian. We started having a conversation, but you can see how welcoming they were. Right. So I love to show you this picture so that you can hopefully see that they're really not that scary. And so what does this have to do with you? Well, you may not have the opportunity to go to the Middle East. Maybe you will. would love to bring you one day. But, you know, the Muslims, we always say within our ministry, the Muslims are coming. The Muslims are coming. The Muslims are here. And they're not leaving. And it's our job to share Jesus with them. And so I've got an assignment for all of you. And that is, the next time you're out and about and you see a woman with a, a, a scarf on, engage her with conversation. The first thing you do, and gentlemen, this is for you too because they're in our culture. We're not in theirs anymore. They're here in ours. The first thing you do is make eye contact and then smile. And if you're close enough, say hello. And if you don't know what to say, the very first line you can say is, where, what country are you from? And if they say they're from here, and I've had that happen before, say, ah, well, what country is your your family from, because yeah. maybe they were born here. And then they'll tell you whatever, and then, you know, you can go from there. If you don't know what to say, say something easy like, I like hummus. <laughs> you know, something to may find a connection. And the goal is, eventually, if you can strike up a friendship, see if you can go to coffee, see if you can meet somewhere. You know, you could be the one that could lead them to faith in Christ. Can you imagine what an honor that would be? Can you imagine someone being in heaven from a Muslim background that's there because of you? How exciting would that be? But you can see truly, they are searching. Their hearts are hungry for truth. They just don't know. They're searching with, to the wrong God. They're looking in the wrong place. One-fifth of the globe today is Muslim. And for years, we just thought that was closed off, sealed off. Nothing was going to happen. People prayed for decades. And we used to talk about the 1040 window, the least reached people. Hey, listen, look out our window. That's the 1040 window. Right. They're here now. And you know those missionaries we prayed for? Go to the Muslims. It's us. God's called us here to reach out to them in love. Okay, Chris, next one, if you would. Okay, let's skip that and go to the next one. If you would, Muslims are open. Okay, next one, if you would. Okay, keep it there if you would. Great. Go ahead, Joanne. Yeah, so gosh, Billy, you may have even met this woman. Um, this is, now we're in Jordan, and this woman is a Syrian refugee. I'm sure you've all heard about the war going on in Syria that's hopefully coming to a close now. But this woman, you can see she is carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders. She has lost her home. She has lost many family members, seen some of her family members killed before her eyes. She walked from Syria to Jordan with the few things she could carry with one of her daughter-in-laws and three of her grandchildren. And when I met her, she just could not stop, it, stop talking about the worry that she had for the family that was still trapped in Syria that could not escape out with her. And so we began telling her about the one true hope that she could have in Jesus. And, of course, we wanted to tell her that her hope could be found in, of course, the pages of Scripture. 
But Muslims are taught that the Bible's corrupted. And if we would have walked in with a, a copy of the Bible, she would shut down and not listen to a word That's we right. said. But we know that this is where hope is found, right? God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we wanted to take her into the truth of God's word. So we began telling her stories from God's word. And as we were telling her stories from God's word, she was sitting more and more forward on her little cushion on the floor, listening to every word that we were sharing. And the worry was starting to kind of evaporate from her face. And after several stories of scripture telling her how Jesus calmed the storm, how Jesus took the woman who was bleeding for 12 years and he miraculously healed her of that bleeding. One story after another, finally, you know, through a translator, she said, I want to know this Jesus because the God that I'm praying to is not answering my prayers. And so through the translator, we made sure she understood what it would mean to give her life to Jesus, living still in a Muslim community. And she said, yes, I am so desperate to know truth. And so through a translator, Shireen gave her life to Jesus. And in this next picture, look at the difference. That was taken moments after Shireen prayed and gave her life to Christ. Now, have her circumstances changed at all? No. But you know what has changed? The God of all hope has now entered her heart. She has peace. She has joy. She has hope for the first time ever. And do you know what Shireen is doing? She is now FaceTiming on her little cell phone that's all chipped up with a broken, shattered screen. She FaceTimes her family back home because our national leader, Ziad, and the team, they are discipling her. And she is learning the truth of God's word with a real Bible because, by the way, we gave her a Bible and she hid it in the scarf of her burqa. But she is now FaceTiming her family back in Syria, sharing with them what she has discovered and who Jesus is. And there may be one more picture of her. It, no, is that, is that yeah. it? But anyway, look what Jesus does. And so often it's the ones that are the most heavily veiled. Those are the ones whose hearts are the most prepared. Mm. So God is really moving among Muslims. And I'm sure you're not hearing that on the news. I mean, that's totally opposite of what you're hearing. You're hearing, when you hear the word Palestinian, what's the first thing you think of? Terrorism. Uh, people do. You hear it on the news. And I think really the enemy is, is using that to, to keep us away from Muslims. Is there terrorism? Believe me, there is. It's affected our lives. We see it all over. But the average Muslim just wants to feed their family and send them to a good school. They don't care about jihad. It's not what they're doing. They, they want something good for their family. But I think if you're getting your worldview from the news, you've got an IV hooked up to the 24-7 news, you know, breaking story every, every minute, then it's just going to push you farther back. There could be anger. There could be complacency, whatever. I think the enemy's doing that. I think he really is. I think the devil is trying to keep Christians away from Muslims. He knows that one-fifth of the planet is more open to the gospel than ever before in their history, 1,400 years. Let's keep the Christians away. They have the answers. So this is Nuri. Nuri is from uh, Jordan, and she lived right by the border of Syria and Jordan. Sweet young lady, 27-year-old, nurse, and, uh, but she had a terrible problem. Um, she was demonized. Her, her father was a sheikh, which is a leader of imams, so think seminary professor, and uh, she was abused, she was beaten, 
Uh, she had this great career going as a nurse, but at night when the darkness would happen, the demonic oppression would come and voices would come out. And finally, she was so desperate, she asked someone at work at the hospital, what do I do? And it was a fellow Muslim, and this Muslim said to her, Nuri, you need to go to a church. And she goes, a church? And she said, we're Muslims. We go to the mosque. And she said, I know, but you're not going to find help there. You need to go to a church. And so she went to a church. She knocked on a door and explained herself to the pastor at this church. And he was so afraid of Muslim reprisals, he turned her away. I mean, she's, she's looking for hope. What, what do I do? These voices, male voices coming out. What do I do? She goes to another church, the same thing. Finally, she goes to a third church, and it ends up that it happens to be led by one of our national leaders. He took her in, got his wife. They prayed. The demons were sent fleeing, and they said, but you know what? They're going to come back if you don't receive Jesus as Savior. And they explained the gospel. She saw the change. She was more than willing to receive Jesus. She became a follower of Jesus, a sheikh's daughter, living in their house. Crazy thing, her father died that week. And then she started getting discipled, goes to work every day at noon. She has her discipleship lesson. She's in the Word. And finally, after about a month, she thinks, I'm going to tell my mom. She'll be happy. She sees the change. She tells her mom, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus now. Her mom explodes, starts hitting her and screaming at her and saying, you've disgraced the family. Your dad would be so ashamed of you. And so every night she comes home and it's this treatment. Her mom won't cook dinner. And she decides to get on Facebook because she thinks, I wonder if there's other Muslims like me that had questions, might want to meet Jesus. She gets on Facebook, gets a fake name on Facebook and starts sharing with people Bible verses and this and that. And, and our national leader, Maher, said, she had hundreds of followers in a couple of months. There's all these people, and every night she's coming home, and she's on Facebook, and Muslims have questions. They don't know who to talk to, and she's sharing the word and, and, and what's gone on in her life under this pseudo name. And she said every night she'd come home, mom slapping her, yelling at her, cussing at her, go in her room, lock the door, get on Facebook. But one night she's on Facebook, and her mom's name comes across the screen. Her mom somehow got on Facebook and had questions and started to ask the daughter this, not knowing it's her daughter in the next room, asking questions. What about this? What about this? And she felt, okay, Lord, do I tell her it's me or not? She felt the Holy Spirit saying, keep going, stick to the gospel. It could go sideways, just stick to the truth. And a few months later, after tens of 20 questions, Finally, one night, her mom sends a message, not knowing it's her daughter in the next room, and says, I want so much what my daughter has, but I'm so afraid. And again, she says, Holy Spirit, do I open the door and go in there and lead my mom to faith in Christ? No. Do it. Stick to the gospel. Stick here. She leads her mother to faith in Christ over Facebook. If you can imagine, in the next room... A couple of weeks later, she comes in and tells her mom, I'm getting baptized. I just want you to know that. And I also want to tell you this. It was me on Facebook in this amazing reunion. We were there. She got baptized. Her mother was in the first row clapping. She's going to be baptized next. Listen, folks, every soul matters. High risk 
danger, every soul matter, extreme, high risk, danger, every soul matters. She's becoming a force on Facebook. And so let's see how much time do we have. A couple minutes, one more. Let's see if we can name uh, next one if you would. Let's see if we've got anything else. Uh, keep going, I think. Yeah, one of the things we do at Uncharted, our, our um, line is reaching the unreached, standing with the persecuted. So every, every year we find the most persecuted believers in the world and then go and visit them, encourage them, bring them handwritten letters. So the first year we went to the Egyptian widows. Their husbands were killed on the Libyan beach by ISIS and went and hand-delivered letters, and it was so amazing. We went to lift them up. They lifted us up. The, the next year we went to Syrian pastors that we brought into Lebanon, about 100 of them that had ISIS all throughout their communities and brought them handwritten letters and it was amazing. The next year after that, we went to South Korea and met with North Korean defectors and that had come to faith in Christ. And we brought them letters from uh, believers in America just saying, I love you. I know you've been persecuted. This year, there was no question. We're going to the Nigerian widows. They've had whole villages wiped out on a weekend. The Fulani herdsmen, which are another Muslim group that's trying to just put them out, kill them, and, and so we're going to visit them, and we have thousands of letters. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to write one, we're going in two months, and we'll hand deliver it to them. It doesn't have to be long. You can just say, hey, dear sister in Christ, I'm praying for you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Whatever verse you want to put, I love you. You can scratch it out now or give it to us, or we'll give you our email, and you can do that. We will hand deliver it to them and it will encourage them so much that they're not forgotten. They are not forgotten. So what we're called to do, folks, is to set our hearts and our minds in heaven above. Because if we look at things straight across, if we just absorb the news and, and it's our worldview, we're going to be afraid. And over 300 times in Scripture, uh, we're told not to be afraid. Don't fear. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We're going to be fearful. The Muslims are coming. The Muslims are coming. The Muslims are here. And so what are we going to do about it, church? Are we going to be indifferent? Are we going to just say, I don't care about them? Uh, unresolved anger toward 9-11, it was a terrible thing. It, of course it was. Or just be completely indifferent. They're open, they're here, and I close with this. We have, um, uh, we moved after 20 years from Colorado to Dallas, and it was like everybody leaves Dallas to go to Colorado in the summer. It's so hot, it's terrible, and so it, it was, we'd been there 20 years in Colorado shorts and a sweatshirt. I mean, it's so nice. We live 7,500 feet. It's July. It was so hot there. I'm in meetings all day, and I was just frustrated. It's just awful out. And so I got in my car to leave and the office, the mission office, and it felt like 150 out there. And can I just say I was not in the spirit that day? Could we just say that? I was not in the spirit, and I'm complaining. And I got in the car, get on the freeway. Oh, my gosh, you got to pick up Joanne. She's way across town. We're going to be late for dinner. And I look at the gauge on the car, and it says on our Honda, six miles till empty. 
I went, oh my gosh, come on, Lord, can I get a break? You know, so I pull off the freeway. There's three gas stations. Fina, I'll take this one. I stuck my card in, and it said, must see cashier. So at that point, I just lost it and said, come on, God, I'm doing your work. You know, all that's the guilt, like that's going to work with him, right? And so I, I walk in, I throw my card down, and, and this Muslim lady comes up, and she waits on me, and I said, wow, you're, you're from the Middle East, you're Muslim. She goes, yeah. And I said, well, we practically live there. We're there all the time. We work with refugees. We love your people. And we're just there all the time. Where are you from? And she goes, so you go to the Middle East a lot? I said, yeah. She goes, okay, well, you have to guess where I'm from. I said, oh, okay, uh, Egypt. She goes, nope, Saudi Arabia. And I said, you're kidding. I've always wanted to go there. That's so amazing. My gosh. And I said, well, have you heard how God is honoring your people, the Muslims? And she said, uh, I don't know what you mean. I said, Jesus is coming to them in dreams. Muslims are having dreams about Jesus all over. And, she, and I said, I, I, I'm a writer. I wrote a book about that, and I would like to give you one. And she said, you wrote a book about Muslims having dreams about Jesus? And I said, uh, yes, <laughs> you know, I did. And she said, wow because I've been having dreams about Jesus. So I said, excuse me a minute. Forgive me, God, for that outburst. I, I know why I'm here. It's, it's not about my calendar. I ran out, I gave her one, took off, went to the dinner. Everything was great. We were there before the other couple. Two days later, I'm coming back in that area, and I thought, gosh, I need to fill up the car again. And I went, ooh, I'm going to go to that gas station. So I pulled in, and I thought, ooh, I'm going to go to that pump. And I stuck the card in and it worked perfectly. See, I don't think it was a card malfunction. I think it was an order from God. It didn't say, please see cashier. It said, must see cashier. And so I walked in just to see if she was there or we, and I walked in, and there she was. She's reading dreams and visions. She goes, hey, I'm glad you're back. This book is like my life. I said, it's like your life. And what do you mean? How long have you been having dreams about Jesus? And she said, over 30 years now. I said, Jesus has been coming to you for 30. Did you never talk to a Christian or go to a church and, and ask questions? She goes, plenty of times. But it's like every time I went to a church and, I don't know, I'd ask them questions. It was, it was like they were afraid of me. Could that be with Christians? I said, no, that would never happen. Uh, yeah, I don't know where you got that. But anyway, she said, but I knew this. I knew this, that Jesus told me so much in the dreams how much you loved me. And he would put his arm around me, and I never felt so safe with the man in my life. I felt his love. And I knew that one day he was coming for me. He was coming. And I said, Rowia, I mean, I'm thinking it's today is the day. I think it is. And shared some Bible verses with her, and she was ready to receive Jesus. So at the FINA gas station, we held hands. She prayed. She met Jesus, and it was glorious. She loves him today. I checked on her the other day, and you know what? Why do I say that? One, because why did I tell that story? Because I was an absolute idiot that day. My whole schedule, it's about me, it's about me. That's not why we're here to you know, check off things on our calendar. We're Jesus' servants. And we live in a, we work in a ministry office that has 50 ministries, and she's within a mile of it, and she doesn't know where to go to find out answers about Jesus. How wrong is that? And then also it's this. 
because there's a lot of Ruiz around you. And man, would they love to get to know you. Would they ever love to get to know Jesus if they could just get answers. The Muslims are coming. The Muslims are coming. The Muslims are here. So what are we going to do? Let's set our hearts on things above, our minds on things above, focus on what Jesus said to do, and let's go reach him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We're honored at what you're doing in this generation. We think it's the greatest generation to live in outside of the first century with Jesus and the apostles. You're doing so much, and we want to be faithful. We're so thankful to see you move. We watch the news. It's depressing, but Jesus, you're on the throne, and we're so thankful. God, we want to be faithful. Use us. Break our hearts for lost people. Break our hearts for Muslims. They are reachable. You've opened the door. You're leading the way. May we be faithful and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for letting us be with you today.